You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. It's good to see you this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse 1. As you're finding your place, I want to just pose a question this morning. Is it possible for our attendance here this morning, our corporate worship, to be more about checking a box rather than a desire to actually worship and honor God? Keith, I'm just a little bit echo if you can turn me down a little bit. Thank you, brother. appreciate that a lot. Are you here this morning because you truly want to worship God corporately? Are you here this morning just because this is what you've always done on Sunday mornings, this is what your parents taught you to do? We're going to be confronted with the reality this morning that it is possible. It is possible to corporately worship together and, and on the outside look as though that is happening, while on the inside, well, something completely different be happening. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Father, we pause this morning to say thank you for your goodness and grace. For, Father, you truly are good. And, Father, I pray that no matter what we face in our life, that that there will be that one anchor as your followers, as disciples of Christ, that that one anchor that always holds is no matter what our circumstances are, you are good. Even when we don't understand, even when it hurts, even when we can't see past our pain or anxiety, that, Father, there would be this consistent anchor in our life that we can always go back to and know that whatever we're facing, you are good. So, Father, we should not be surprised that that's exactly where Satan often attacks in our thinking about you. Father, guide us in your word this morning. And I pray, Father, that the reason we're here today is to truly worship and honor you and for no other reason. That we're here today as an overflow of the worship we've been doing all week already. And, Father, we have the blessing of doing that together corporately. Thank you for our time together. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I read a story about a young man who the religion that he grew up in, the culture that he grew up in, dictated that when he got of a certain age that he would marry uh, a woman that he's never met. You know that to be prearranged marriage. And the idea of his culture and his religion was that at a certain age, uh, he would go and meet this woman for the very first time that has already been prearranged, maybe even before his birth, that he would marry. 
Now, this family, this young man, grew up in American culture. So he's, he's observed for most of his adult or most of his teenage years how Americans come to the conclusion that they should marry. And it's through courtship, getting to know someone. So he's conflicted on the inside about this whole idea of, of this prearranged marriage. And quite frankly, he's not very excited about it. He's anxious about it. He, he doesn't want to go through with it. He would rather get to know someone first and then out of that, you know, maybe love develop and then from that point, marriage. So then the day comes that he is going to go to the airport. Now, he's seen his other brothers do this. He's got older brothers. All of them, uh, all their marriages are the result of a prearranged marriage. And there comes the day where he's going to travel to the airport. And walking across the causeway into the airport and through security is going to be the woman that he's going to meet for the very first time in the airport that he's going to marry. Well, you can imagine that by going to the airport on that day, he's not very excited. As a matter of fact, he's kind of angry about it. He's got some resentment about it. He doesn't want to go through, but he knows that if he doesn't, it'll dishonor his family. And in his culture, you just didn't do that. So he's there at the airport, and they're on the other side of security, and you know he's been thinking in his mind, how in the world is this ever going to work? And as he's looking across through the security, through the plexiglass, he sees a, a woman coming that's dressed in the same clothes as his culture and his family and looks to be the same ethnicity as him. And he's struck by her beauty. He is struck by the idea that, could that be her? And could that be the woman I'm going to marry? And he is absolutely knocked on his heels. So as she comes through security and they meet for the very first time, you can just imagine how awkward that would be. They sit down, they get to talking. The next thing you know, they're laughing. And the next thing you know, he's not so anxious anymore. As a matter of fact, he begins to see that, wow, this could really, really work and be a beautiful thing. You see, that story reminds us yet again that it's very hard for us to love and be devoted to something or someone that we do not know. I have another question for you, and this question is just to probe a little bit. You answer this between you and the Lord. A few weeks ago, when we were walking through the creation events, those creation days, I, in my limited vocabulary and trying to get across to you just the majesty and the beauty and the power of God, I talked about the fact that, that God spoke and he hung two trillion galaxies in place. And that within each of those galaxies, there could be anywhere from 100 billion planets or more. Now, what, what should happen in that moment, what should happen is we, we gasp as followers of Christ, as we begin to understand the vastness and the majesty and the beauty and the power of the God, we have the opportunity to call our Father. What should happen is we should gasp, we should smile, we should rejoice. But most often what happens in the local church is we simply yawn because we've heard it all before. And you see, the thing is, it's rather than being enthralled with the majesty of God, it's like when we take our kids to the zoo and they're all excited about seeing the tigers. Oh, I want to see the tigers. Got to see the tigers. Can't wait to see the tigers. You fight through the crowd. You pay the exorbitant price. You go to the, the thing where the tigers are. The kids take five seconds to look at it and go, okay. And we move on. 
Isn't it incredible how quickly we get bored with God? Should that concern us? I think it should. And in our age of technology where every day there's some kind of new thing, right? New iPhone, new technology, new things happening. We're enthralled with the new. We're enthralled with something. But boy, our, our passion for it dies quickly. And what I'm concerned about, what I'm deeply concerned about is that, that our, our love and devotion to God can get to a place where it's just another day, another worship service, another sermon, another small group, another Bible lesson, another song. And I'll raise my hand, I'll smile, and I'll tell everybody around me that I'm okay because they're going to ask me if I'm okay. I'm going to say I'm okay. They're going to say we're okay. And here's what happens. We go through and we just check the perfunctory box of, of religion for the week. All the while, this God of creation who's given us so much more than we've ever deserved is an afterthought. Well, let's, take it another, let's take it another step here. Not only can our, our, our practice of our faith, our practice of, our, of worship, not only can it become perfunctory and just checking the box and ritualistic, here's the real scary thing. At the same time we're going through the motions, our heart can be filled with anger, unforgiveness, hatred, lust, and greed. What an incredible, what an incredible paradox. We have... The God of the heavens who, who speaks and who works and who blesses and who, who calls us to his side. And yet at the same time, we can be so blasé about him that it's just, well, it's just God. This narrative that we have in front of us this morning is going to confront us with that very thing. Cain and Abel, these two sons of Adam and Eve, we're, we're going to see them offer worship to God. But what we're going to see is that, that God accepts but he also rejects, and it comes down to your heart. God's always concerned about your heart. And here in Genesis 4, some time has passed. We don't know how much time, but now we are post-paradise. We are, we are post-garden. What Adam and Eve had known in that garden is now gone. That communion that they knew with God as God would come down in the breeze of the day and walk along with Adam and Eve, that's all gone now because there is something in the world that he warned them about, sin, death, that has separated them from God. As a matter of fact, if you remember last week, here's Adam and Eve, they're shivering in their shame. Their conscience has now alerted them to the fact that they have something to be ashamed of. That had never happened. Now they're, they're afraid of God and they're running away from God and they try to cover themselves. And at the end of that, at the end of those verses last week, God slays some animals and he, he, he robes Adam and Eve in the skin of a, of a dead animal to cover their shame. Well, now we're, we're living post-paradise. Some, some years have gone by. And, and, and what is life like now? I, I can't imagine the amount of regret that Adam and Eve feel at this point. And, and God told them. God warned them that this, this is exactly how it's going to be, that if they disobeyed the one command that he gave them, if they, if they crossed that line, well, what we're going to see in chapter 4 is exactly what he warned them about. Does your worship of God feel more like duty or delight? 
Does your worship of God feel like you're checking boxes, going through the motions, or is it alive and vibrant? Are you, are you yawning at the concept of a God who can create out of nothing? Are you yawning at the concept of a Christ who died on a cross and resurrected three days later because you've heard it so many times? Are you just simply brushing off the whole concept that God knows your name? has a purpose for your life. Is that just second nature? Is that just, well, another day, another sermon? If so, we don't need to look at our outward worship. What we need to look at is our heart. And that's what Genesis 4 is all about. You see, Satan is alive and well. He didn't just pass off the scene after the fall. No, he still has in his sights, still has in his crosshairs, the prized creation of God, now, which now is a family, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Verse 1, chapter 4, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. In, in Old Testament language, let's define that as best we can with kids in the room. What that means is, is that husband and wife come together intimately and they conceive children. And so some time has passed by. Notice how from verse 1 to verse 2 and following, time is passing. So she, she, she gives birth to Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase. We'll come back to that in just a minute. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, at this point, some time has elapsed. Now we have two adult men. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So we start having some descriptive language about these two men and their role within this family unit. So Cain, he's a farmer. He tills the ground and he, he hoes the ground and he produces crops and vegetables and fruit from the work of his hands from the ground. We, we learn about Abel. Abel is a keeper of the sheep. He's a shepherd. And he takes care of the sheep and provides for the sheep. So notice what happens next. In the course of time, verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now here's, here's where the text gets really interesting. And, and the struggle we have here is we don't, we're not told the background at all. So we go from the fall in the garden to Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden to now they're, they're living in this world, this broken, fallen world that now has sin, shame, hatred, fear, all of that. We, we no longer have God communing with Adam and Eve. So they, they, they follow God's command, the first command, and God says, multiply, be fruitful. They have children, not just Cain and Abel, there's other children. But then we come to this realization that there's an expectation of Cain and Abel to worship God in a very tangible way. Now, we're not told. But apparently, God had communicated to this first family and had set expectations for this family after they had been kicked out of the garden. And one of those expectations, apparently, is that they are to worship and honor God, their creator. By the way, that's what they were made to do. They were created with the imago Dei, the ability to, to reason and to worship and to honor. And so, so God says to them somewhere in the background, I expect you to worship. And here's, here's my expectations for you. You are to offer the best of your life, the best of the work of your hands as an offering to me. God doesn't need the vegetables. God doesn't need the fruit. God doesn't need their sheep. God is not like the gods of mythology where you, they depended upon food from, from human beings. That's not who God is. 
You see, God was not concerned necessarily about the gift, although he set parameters on that. What he's concerned about is their heart. So he set some parameters. This is long before the Mosaic Law. This is long before Abraham. This is long before all of that. But God set the standard with this family about what he expected in their worship back to him. They understood it. So out of Cain and Abel's daily life, they, they look at the work of their hands, the fruit of their hands, and they say, okay, we're going to offer this back to God to honor him and to worship him. So at this point, what we have is we have Cain offering fruits, vegetables. We're not told, but it's from the work of his hands. He offers that to God. You look at Abel, Abel goes over here. We have a little bit more detail about his offering. He goes into the flock of his sheep and he chooses a firstborn sheep. Very important, valuable to him. So not only does Abel give God the best of his flock, but he also takes that animal, he sacrifices it, and the portions of that animal that are the most valuable, he offers that back to God. Now at this point, other than the added details that we have about Abel, if, if you could look in on this situation, you would say that both of them are worshiping. Cain from the work of his hands in the garden. Abel from the work of his hands in the sheep. So at this moment, you can't distinguish between the two. They're both worshiping God. And apparently, as God had intended them to, outwardly. But notice what happens next. So they make these offerings. Cain from the fruit of the ground, Abel from the firstborn of his flock. Look at the second part of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So what is God saying here? God is saying that he accepts the worship of Abel, but he rejects the offering of Cain. Now from the outside, from the outside looking in, it looks like they're offering, both offering something to God, but God was only pleased with one of them. Why is that? Why is it that God is only pleased with what Abel offers versus what Cain is offering. Now, some theologians make a big deal about, well, you know, Abel's offering a sheep, something alive, a blood sacrifice, where, where Cain is offering something from the ground. I, that, there may be some issues there, but I don't think that's the key issue because God is looking at the heart. And what we're going to find out here is there's a difference between these two men and what's going on on the inside. We don't have a lot of background in Genesis 4 as to what's going on. But these sacrifices... They reveal something about these two men. Your worship to God reveals something about what's truly on the inside of you. The way you worship God, worshiping God Monday through Saturday versus just on Sunday morning, that says something about where your heart is. If, if God is an afterthought all week long, if, if God doesn't even come up in your conversations the way you live, the way you manage what God has put into your care. If, none, if God is nowhere in your purview Monday through Saturday, and all of a sudden when you get up on Sunday morning and you have your bowl of cereal, you then begin to think about and consider God. But coming to church is more about checking a box rather than, than actually worshiping him corporately. That's saying something about your heart. You see, we have the writer of Hebrews who gives us some great insight to what happens here. So turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, uh, the, the book of Hebrews gives us incredible insight 
into how the, the Old Testament and the New Testament work together because this author, we don't know who he is, um, he, he utilizes the Old Testament. And what he does is on the inspiration of, of God, he's able to fill in some of this picture of, of what God was doing in the Old Testament and now what he's doing through Christ, through his blood, Jesus being the perfect sacrifice and what that means in relation to the Old Covenant. The writer of Hebrews helps us with this tremendously. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. Not necessarily defining faith, although I think some people lean to the first few verses about the definition of faith, but I think more of what we see in Hebrews 11 is the idea of how faith works, what it looks like tangibly. And the way the writer of Hebrews does this is he uses these, these characters from the Old Testament, both men and women, and he puts in front of us, this is the person who was under great distress but yet lived by faith. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So the writer of Hebrews right off the bat says that it was through faith that Abel offered his worship to God. And he says that Cain, Cain though which he was committed as righteous. In other words, Abel was committed as being righteous because he approached God by faith. How does the writer of Hebrews know this? Because of not only the response and worship, but also the response that we get after Cain is confronted. He says here that it was by faith, a more acceptable sacrifice, through which he was committed as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says this moment in Genesis 4 still speaks loudly, and here's what it says. This is what we learn here in Hebrews 11. That the offering of worship that Abel made to God was based off of faith, whereas Cain and his offering was not. So now we get a little bit more of a, of a clearer view. Not only was it by faith, but we have righteousness of Abel and unrighteousness of Cain. You know what all that's talking about, right? It's talking about the heart, not the outward. Because the outward looked somewhat the same, but on the inside of these two men, we have a, we have a real problem, especially with Cain. So what Hebrews 11 reveals to us is that it is entirely possible to have an outward observance, observance of religion while on the inside being unrighteous and having no faith in God. Now that should make us all shudder. It should make us pause. That we can, we can actually just go through the motions? That, that, that we can actually just put on a mask and play a role on Sunday? While Monday through Saturday, we're living a totally different life. All the while thinking that everything is okay. All the while thinking people who watch your life think that everything's okay. But I think Hebrews 11 has something else to tell. Let's look at verse 6. I think this is the key. Right in, right in the middle of these, these characters that, that uh, the writer of Hebrews has given us, right after Enoch, here, here's what the writer, and, and here's what the writer says in verse 6. We'll, we'll side note here. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did you get that? In other words, there is no way 
that we can please God by singing songs, showing up, throwing some money in the offering plate, all these outward religious observances. If we don't have faith in God, and he defines it, faith that we believe that he exists, that he's real, but not only that, but that he's good, that he rewards, that he knows, that he loves. Do you remember where, you know where the serpent attacked in the garden? You remember that? So here's the serpent talking to Eve. And the doubt that he begins to place in the heart of Adam and Eve is this. God is not inherently good. If he was good, he wouldn't be keeping that one tree from you that he told you not to eat of. Even though you've got a whole bunch of trees deep from, there's one. And if God was really good, he would give you everything. He would, he would give you complete control and freedom. And here's the fact, Adam and Eve, here's what's going on. God doesn't want you to become like him, so he's keeping something good from you. That was the lie. Guess what? That lie was still being told in Hebrews chapter 4. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 11 and in Genesis chapter 4. That Cain, his heart, that he doesn't have faith in God. He doesn't believe in this creator. He doesn't believe that God is good. Go back to Genesis 4 and I'll show you how we can know that. Genesis 4, we see that after God rejects his offering, notice how he responds. So he had regard for Abel, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, what's interesting here is that when Cain recognizes that he's disobeyed God, he's not followed through with what God has asked them to do, what should be an a immediate response is repentance. It is, God, I'm sorry for messing this up. God, I'm sorry for missing the mark here. I, I, I see now where I've missed it, and, and, and God, I, I have, I've disobeyed you just like my parents did that got us kicked out of that garden, that got my parents kicked out. This is exactly the same thing. So, so Lord, I, I know what happened. We're experiencing the weight of that shame and that sin now because of what my, my mom and dad did, and I don't want to go down that path. So, God, I'm sorry, and, and teach me how to offer you well, right worship. That's not what he does at all. Instead, he gets angry. His face falling means he looks down. His face is contorted with anger. And that anger is directed at two individuals. It's directed at Abel and jealousy, and it's directed at God for expecting him to do more than he did. The Lord is going to have a conversation with him. He says, why are you angry? This is the first question that God poses to humanity after the fall. You, you remember the question in the garden, right? Adam, where are you? The, the next question that he asks humanity after the fall is this question. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? You see, Cain tried to offer worship to God without faith without a heart that loves him. In other words, you could say that, that Cain yawned at the idea and just went through the motions. And then when he gets called on it, he gets angry and jealous. So God is going to do like my dad would do to me, and that would be to take me out back, have a little conversation. And God says to Cain, Cain, you need to understand something. You need to understand where you are right now. You need to understand that, 
There are two paths you can choose to walk down here, walk down. In verse 7, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, that word accepted in the Hebrew language is a, is a play on how we find Cain's face. So the Bible says that his face was, was drawn, distorted, cast down. The word accepted in your English translation, the Hebrew word behind it means this, to lift up. So God says, if, if, you will, if you will approach me by faith, if you will approach me in authentic worship, won't your face be lifted up? Won't you, won't you be able to not have to worry about being angry and being, being broken? Can you, can you just approach me by faith and, and obedience? And that way your face can be lifted up. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Will you not be lifted up is what that means? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. He puts before Cain two paths, two paths. On the one hand, repentance, obedience, authentic worship, a do-over. If you will do well, your face will be lifted up. But because I have created you with the Imago Day, you also have another option here. God already knows how this is going to turn out. God says, if you choose to do it your way, then I want you to know what's on the other side of that, that sin is crouching at the door. The devil is crouching behind the door. He didn't leave the planet after the fall into garden. He is still seeking to devour. He is seeking to mislead. He's a liar and the father of all lies. And he is crouching, hiding, waiting for you to make a step. And when you do, he's going to pounce upon you. Because he has a desire for you. Why does Satan and the forces of evil have a desire for Cain? Well, it's because they are the only part of creation that bears the image of God. The only ones. His desire is for you, Cain, but you must rule over it. You must rule over your passions. You must rule over this. In other words, God is saying to Cain, Cain, trust me. But remember the lie that Satan always tells us that we can't trust God. God is not good. So Cain is standing at a crossroads here. Let's see how it turns out. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Now behind that is this idea that Cain invites Abel to go out into the field with him. So he's premeditating. He's already decided in his heart what he's going to do. And so when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So we have, we have a heart of Cain that decided to disobey God in the act of worshiping him. He didn't approach God with faith. And as we learn in Hebrews, there is no way to please God. And that lack of faith points to the fact that that Cain didn't really believe that God is good, that God, that God is not worthy of my faith, and he's not worthy of this offering, so I'm just going to give him whatever I want to give him. Then that turns into jealousy towards his brother that then leads to hatred, which then leads to cold-blooded murder. So I come back to the question we have at the beginning. Is it possible to go through the motions of looking like we're worshiping God while on the inside be filled with hatred, jealousy, greed, and yes, even murder? Is that possible? The answer to that question is yes. 
The answer to that question is yes. Cain is angry. It shows in his face. That anger leads to jealousy. That jealousy leads to hatred. That hatred leads to cold blood and murder of his own flesh and blood, his brother. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Just like God did in the garden with Adam. He walks in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? It's not like God didn't know. It's not like God doesn't know now. He's, he's wanting Cain to own this. He's wanting Cain to admit what he's done. Because you see, the brother's blood is calling out from the ground, the Bible says, that God not only knows what Cain has done, but the blood that has been shed, innocent blood that has been shed, is calling out. So he goes to Cain and Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Now listen to Cain's response. I want you to hear the cold indifference of this man's heart. We started out with a worship that was not acceptable by God because it wasn't offered by faith. We, 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 we move towards a face that is downcast in anger. We, we move towards jealousy and then plotting his own brother's death. And I want you to hear his heart at this moment. He says to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you hear just the absolute carelessness in that? That, that there, is, there is no similitude of regret or remorse over the fact that he just killed his brother? Listen, folks, the reason it's so scary that we can go through the motions of, of ritualistic worship and checking the boss, the reason this should, should make us pause is because of where it can lead. That on the one hand, you've got your Sunday worship face and mask, but on Monday through Saturday, living like the world, thinking that everything is okay. Down through 18 years of ministry, um, some of the hardest conversations I've ever had with people, and I, and I mean this, this is, some of the hardest conversations I've had with people were not people who were maybe atheistic in their thinking, maybe just really antagonistic against the church. I mean, those are hard conversations. But let me tell you where the hard conversations happen. It's where I've had somebody who's been in church for 15, 20, 30 years, who, who knows knowledge-wise a lot about the Bible. And, and they're, they're, they're faithful as far as showing up to church. But then it comes out that there's a real serious ethical problem in this person's life. And when you begin to talk with that person about this ethical breakdown in their life, the, the moral choices that they're making are completely outside of God's will. How do they respond? With incredible anger. Don't you know I've been a deacon for 30 years in this church? Don't you know I've been part of this worship? How dare you tell me I'm wrong? Some of the hardest conversations I've ever had are with church people whose hearts have grown incredibly cold and callous, even to the point where I wonder if they're even born again at all. They've got titles, they've got religion, they've got name on the membership role, they've been baptized, they've got all that, but what they don't have is faith in God, the very thing that brings pleasure to God they don't have. Well, the Scripture's clear. There's a word for that. It's lost. Cain, the anger that he has here, the hatred. See, the rituals cannot change your life. Maybe you're putting your faith in the wrong thing. Maybe, maybe you're putting it in some corporate worship songs. 
Maybe you're putting your faith in attendance. Maybe you're putting your faith in membership. Maybe you're putting your faith in baptism. Maybe you're putting your faith in checking all the right boxes, doing all the good things, trying to be good enough. Maybe, maybe you're putting your faith in those things. And if you are, don't be surprised. The inward man or woman is growing colder and darker and more indifferent as time goes by. Why is that? It's because the rituals cannot save you. The, 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 the outward performance of religion cannot save you. Listen, the world is full of religion religions that have as their main premise outward performance. And they're just as lost, just as broken, just as evil on the inside as the day they were born. So, it is possible, it is possible for you to go through the motions of just church life while having hatred for those around you. That anger that's coming out of you, that hatred that's coming out of you, that short fuse, that greed, lust. Listen, folks, those are all warning lights on the dash of your life, just like in your car. That warning light comes on and it's telling you something's getting ready, something's getting ready to break down. The, the, all those things are warning lights flashing on the dash of your life. If you ignore that, if you, if you cover it over, if you just think, keep thinking that if I just keep doing more of these things, somehow the trouble's going to go away, you are lying to yourself, and there's going to be a breakdown coming really soon. So this morning I invite you to examine your heart are you here this morning just because this is what you do on Sunday? A few weeks ago when I was talking about God the creator and all that he did, did you just simply go, yeah, I've heard that before? And maybe this morning you're saying, oh, I've heard Cain and Abel before. Because if you're thinking that way, the reason you're there is because, guess what? We've got to the end of the service. You can check another box. Is that, is that why you're here? Or is today about the worship you've been having all week, and now you get to overflow that worship with people around you who love Jesus as well. I get to do that together with other people. Is your, is your, is your boldness for Christ something that happens within this building and nowhere, nowhere else? Is your boldness for Christ relegated to a building where you can raise your hand and praise Jesus corporately but as soon as we walk out of this place, no, I'm going to hide that as quickly as I can because if I don't, people are going to mock me at work. People are going to mock me on the job. So, yeah, so Monday through Saturday, you see, I'm just going to, I'm going to hide all that. Well, that's not authentic worship at all. And where that leads us is down the path of rituals. Just keep checking boxes. Keep believing the lie. Have you ever wondered, if, is there more to my faith? Is there more to, to loving God and following God than just going to church? Is there, is there more to this? Yes, there is. So much more. So much more. Are you, willing to be, are you willing to follow him by faith and go deeper with him? Yeah, it'll cost you something. It's risky. But there's no better life on earth than to walk with your creator through Christ Jesus who laid down his life for you. There's no, no greater adventure you can go on. No, no better life you can live. So I invite you this morning, examine your heart. Is this just another box you're checking? Or do you really love Jesus and you want to worship him corporately together? 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media.